Hello, listeners. This episode originally aired in May of 2016, and we're rebroadcasting it because it's about artificial intelligence and its future impact on the legal profession. So stay tuned, and if you're crewman David Bowman from Discovery One, you might want to keep an eye on that airlock. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, I'm Monica Bay. And I'm Bob Ambrogi. We've been writing about law and technology for more than 30 years. That's right. During that time, we've witnessed many changes and innovations. Technology is improving the practice of law, helping lawyers deliver their services faster and cheaper. Which benefits not only lawyers and their clients, but everyone. And moves us closer to the goal of access to justice for all. Tune in every month as we explore new legal technology and the people behind the tech. Here on Law Technology Now. Welcome to Law Technology Now. This is your host, Bob Ambrogi. And uh, we're going to be talking today about artificial intelligence. And I know, sure, some of you listeners are saying, oh, no, not another program about artificial intelligence. It has been all over the news lately, I know. In fact, the cover story of the uh, April issue of the ABA Journal is all about artificial intelligence. And uh, that article proclaims that artificial intelligence is changing the way lawyers think, the way they do business, and the way they interact with clients. Artificial intelligence is more than legal technology. It is the next great hope that will revolutionize the legal profession. But today we're going to talk about maybe a little different angle on this than you've heard about. Back in January, I attended an innovation summit put on by Thomson Reuters, the company probably most of you best know for Westlaw. And they offered kind of a tantalizing taste of something they're working on, well, various things they're working on, involving the cognitive computing power of IBM's Watson. You all know Watson as the computer that famously won Jeopardy. And ever since it did win Jeopardy, there's been a lot of talk about how Watson might have applicability in the legal field and how it may help to develop artificial intelligence products in the legal field. So today, I'm going to welcome to our show Eric Laughlin. Eric is the managing director of the corporate counsel segment and legal managed services for Thomson Reuters. He, in that position, is responsible for information, software, and service offerings, including legal research, regulatory and risk, and legal managed services, which includes e-discovery, contract management, and compliance. He previously worked in the global strategy function for Thomson Legal and Regulatory and has held various marketing roles within the legal business since rejoining Thomson Reuters in 2007. But of greatest pertinence to today's topic, Eric is heading up the Watson Initiative at Thomson Reuters. And so we've invited him here today to tell us a little bit more about it. So welcome to Law Technology Now, Eric Laughlin. Great. Thanks for uh, welcoming to the show. I am really excited to be here. And I certainly hope that yeah, we aren't just going to repeat everything else that's been said on AI, but we can bring something new to the conversation. Well, I have to say that it was when I attended that summit back in January, I was fascinated. I know that Thomson Reuters as a company had announced earlier last year sometime that it was working with IBM to develop products on the Watson platform, and that's throughout Thomson Reuters. I hadn't really much thought about bringing this to the legal sector. And 
for a company that has the kind of established credentials and resources of Thomson Reuters to be working on this, I thought was really fascinating. I wonder if we could kind of just start by maybe recapping what you told us at the Innovation Summit. I mean, in terms of what it is you're doing, one of the things you said there was that probably the first Thomson Reuters product using Watson that was going to come to market would be illegal. And you gave us a little bit of a heads up on that. So maybe you can tell us what you can tell us about that at this point. Sure. Yeah, I mean, Thomson Reuters is investing in a center of excellence for cognitive computing. And that's really an extension of our current R&D efforts into that space. Um, you know, we have a group that's going to utilize all of the cognitive tools that we have, some that we develop on our own, some that we'll partner and sort of license from other folks. And in that vein, the you know, IBM-Watson partnership is the first sort of external partner we're bringing into that center of excellence. And that's actually a Thomson Reuters-wide initiative. The, as you mentioned, the first implementation of a tool that's powered by Watson will be in legal. I'm working on that project right now, and although we're not saying you know, exactly which domains we're pointing it at, it certainly is in the regulatory space. We plan to have something in beta in October and out in the market uh, in the first half of next year. If you think about, you know, we've spent a lot of time already at Thompson sort of embedding parts of cognitive tools into our current solutions. And we could maybe talk about that at another time, Bob. But, you know, in addition to what we already have, we're planning to, you know, use Watson within a solution for things like more advanced question and answers, you know, Q&A features, for things like jurisdictional comparisons, uh, and for things like tracking changes and sort of recognizing trends in, you know, regulatory trends or enforcement trends. Well, and I think you did say in January that this would probably be focusing on the uh, global legal and regulatory requirements as they affect financial services industry, perhaps, or corporate compliance uh, more broadly. Do I have that much right? Yeah, the first domain will be more broadly applicable than just financial services. You know, it's a domain that folks care quite a bit about, you know, in every corporate setting. I think I was either misheard or I misspoke at that session when I think people got the perspective that it was just on financial services. It's more broad than that. So let's talk about definitions a little bit. There is so much talk about artificial intelligence and and I'm sure in cognitive computing and everybody has their own sense of that. How do you view that? What are you talking about when you're talking about artificial intelligence and particularly in the legal space? Yeah, it's a harder question than it ought to be. <laughs> I think definitions are sort of all over the map. It, what's clear is that we've moved from, you know, trying to replicate the human brain into taking advantage of a lot of computing power to achieve things that we tend to associate with human thinking. You know, I think there's a crowd of sort of technologists out there that use definitions that frankly are beyond the comprehension of most of us, you know, non-technologists. I think on the other side, the non-techies out there use words like artificial intelligence or cognitive tools really to describe anything that seems sort of magical, right? If, if an achievement seems sort of out of reach, people say it's artificial intelligence. Once it's achieved, it sort of starts to feel a little more mechanical. So the definitions are hard. The best I can do is that, you know, it's not a single discipline, right? I think there are three core elements to it. One is interaction with the physical world, right? So computer and physical world interaction. In that, I'm thinking about things like, you know, computer vision 
or robotics, you know, ways that it interacts with the physical world. Secondly, interaction with humans. So things like speech to text, having a conversation between a user and a machine, you know, exemplified by, I think, question and answer sort of interactions. And then things like knowledge representation, you know, ways that information can be displayed in novel ways given a deeper understanding of a huge data set. So that's that interaction with the physical world, the interaction with a human, and then the underlying technology that really allows learning over large data sets. So you hear things like natural language processing, essentially extracting and classifying text, uh, and machine learning. And I think critically for you know, those three elements, it's a continuously learning, you know, continuously improving system. And so I think that's how I think about the sort of multidisciplinary approach to cognitive. I think there are some interesting visuals out there for our listeners. You know, Michael Mills from Neotologic has a, a nice family tree um, of artificial intelligence that you can look up. You can actually find that in the article he wrote recently for the Thomson Reuters Legal Executive Institute and probably some other places that Michael's published that family tree. You know, I, I think as a community, as a legal community, we're sort of enamored with thinking about the technology right now. And I think what all of us would sort of like to see is, you know, a shift from trying to describe the technology to try to describe why and how it can be valuable in the legal ecosystem. You know, I think that's inevitable. Something before it emerges, it's sort of fun to call it artificial intelligence. And, and after it emerges, you know, it's a valuable feature that I, you know, find on my research tool or on my phone or things like that. And so you, you sort of see things starting to emerge in the market that are using a, a subset of the cognitive tools that are out there. I'd point to things like expert systems, which some argue is AI, some argue is not, but really rules-based, you know, complex decision trees um, that are out there, uh, Neurologic, again, being one example. Uh, interestingly, you know, we have a Thomson Reuters Legal Managed Services has a partnership with a law firm with Ackerman where we're supplying sort of tailored regulatory research that's helping to inform an expert system that they're making available to their clients. So that's sort of one place you sort of see, you know, an AI application out there already. Yeah. I mean, one of the the ones that's getting a lot of attention is Ross, which is this uh, supposed legal research artificial intelligence system developed out of the University of Toronto, now commercialized and moved to Silicon Valley. And, you know, the idea, at least as I understand it, I haven't used Ross, but the idea is you ask Rosk a a question and it uh, spits out the answer. And essentially it's the idea being that it's looking at the law and analyzing your question and applying it to the law and, and coming up with an answer. And then you can give feedback to the system on whether that answer, you know, on the quality of that answer, the relevance of that answer the appropriateness of that answer, and uh, Ross learns from that feedback and supposedly gets better and better. Does that at all sound like what we might be seeing you guys developing? Yes, and what's interesting, we we already have some of those tools in Westlaw, and, and in fact, we use a lot of the sort of underlying cognitive tools already in Westlaw, and you, you sort of see those things showing up in a couple different ways. You know, things like learning, like the sort of continuous learning that we employ in order to learn how to rank the results that come back, you know, within Westlaw after a query, you know, which uses machine learning techniques is a feature that we're all familiar with around search of, you know, did you mean this, which uses a lot of sort of character language models. And then there are some newer features, which actually some are already sort of mistaking for uh, Watson powered, things like our research recommendations. You know, we have the ability to 
as a user is going through a research session, we can sort of recognize what they're working on from the whole research session, not just from an individual query, but look at the whole research session and suggest the documents that you know they need to complete their research task. And then lastly, and sort of exactly like the way that you just described Ross, you know, enter a question and we'll give you the answer. You know, we call it Westlaw Answers. And so those are things that we've already developed. And I think that's sort of a, a good lead into, you know, our perspective on how to use artificial intelligence, which is that artificial intelligence is not a product and it's not, you know, the singular thing we should be focused on. It, you know, some of the tools and techniques that are represented through sort of cognitive tools and artificial intelligence should be embedded into solutions and really power solutions and evolve them over time. And so I think you'll see a lot of that in our current roadmap for Westlaw. You'll see that you know, in our future roadmap as we embed more and more cognitive tools into those solutions. So, so does that mean that you're seeing artificial intelligence not as, or say, let's say as you're seeing Watson, not as a platform necessarily for creating new products, but for enhancing existing products? For enhancing existing products, for creating new features on in areas where you know where we sort of might have not been able to gotten to ourselves given our research budget, and also in creating sort of new products, you know I'm I'm not going to go too far into our roadmap, but if you think about um, oh, come on. Sort of new new <laughs> products that uh, we want to know new, all about it. new products that you know would be really interesting in the legal space and sort of natural you know extensions from where we are. You think about something like combining, you know, an idea like Amazon's Alexa, the sort of always-on listening speaker, with a Westlaw research bot. You know, if you have sort of a pervasive, you know, listening solution that you could have in, you know, Bob, in one of your meetings that could sort of understand the topic that's being discussed, could do some research in the background and sort of suggest whether it's sort of just doing some issue spotting or some sort of research on the fly for you. That's sort of a novel approach and a sort of contextual approach to research that is very different than keying in a query or keying in a search string. And, and if I could order pizza for the meeting, all the better. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> and put on, you know, your favorite Prince tune since we're all mourning his death today. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So is this, is Thompson Reuters going down this road, to what extent are your customers driving or influencing your decision to go down this road and focus on cognitive computing in this way? Well, our customers actually have a really positive reaction to the announcement and to when I've sort of been out talking with our clients, the reaction has been you know uniformly positive. Uh, I think there's a lot of debate and sort of fear sort of pervading some of the blogs and some of the sort of market chatter around sort of, you know, AI robots and things like that. But in the conversations that I've had with our clients, I think what they've recognized over the last, you know, year or two of exploring potential cognitive solutions is that it's quite expensive, it's quite time consuming, and the majority of law firms or corporate legal departments simply don't have the bandwidth to tackle massive AI investment on their own. And so the feedback that I've been getting is that it's great that Thomson Reuters is actually, instead of is trying to kind of cut through the talk and actually do something and try to prove out where AI will actually make sense and actually have value to them, and then they can piggyback on that investment. And so, you know, there are some firms out there that are thinking about new ways of tackling knowledge management. If old models aren't working, can artificial intelligence sort of 
added to what Thomson Reuters is doing, can they then add their own knowledge and their own training to our tool in order to enhance it and make it sort of specific to their firm? There are some firms that are thinking about, you know, using cognitive tools as a way to make money. And I think they also recognize that a Thomson Reuters investment in training and content will sort of speed up what they're able to do with that. You know, there's a, a senior partner at a, a Magic Circle firm that put it this way to me. He said, you know, we want to be involved on the ground floor on these things so that we don't wake up one day and sort of AI has changed our business. You know, we want to be part of that change. And so I think they're coming to us as a potential partner to help them in that evolution. There is that fear, Eric. You just hit on the uh, the elephant in the room whenever this discussion comes up. Uh, there was just a conference this month at Vanderbilt Law School on artificial intelligence that had the title, Watson-esque, Will Your Next Lawyer Be a Machine? What about that fear that artificial intelligence means a, a future of robo-lawyers? How legitimate is that? You know, I think the fear is out there. I, I don't place a lot of, I don't spend a lot of my hours worrying about that myself. I, I think in the short and sort of medium term, these solutions will help augment the intelligence of the lawyers already in their jobs and trying to advise clients. I think it'll allow them to get through research tasks much more quickly to make more informed judgments on behalf of their clients. But I think it's also real to say that there are things that lawyers do today that they won't have to do in the future. And I think that that's, that's real. I don't know, you know, I, I guess I can't really be the judge on, you know, which school of thought wins out. Does that mean that there will be more work created and lawyers will be able to do that? Or does that mean that a lot of the tasks that lawyers do will now go to machines or non-lawyers? I guess I lean towards the idea that if you break down the tasks that lawyers do every day, there are more and more of them that will be handled either by non-lawyers plus machines approach or uh, the machine itself. So it does feel like that's an inevitable sort of you know breakdown. Yeah, but one that makes sense, I think. One that yes. makes a lot of sense. And there is, you know, the whole idea of machine learning is that machine learning requires human and machine interaction. It's not that the machine operates entirely on its own without that interaction and that ability to learn. So I think, as you say, it's a ideally is a way to uh, amplify the ability of lawyers to to do their work and to do their job, not to remove them from doing it. Right. And I think one sort of interesting element to that that I've just started sort of thinking about is what does this do to the training and sort of building of the skill set for a junior lawyer? If the old model was a lawyer comes out of law school, joins a firm, does a lot of grunt work uh, in the first few years to not only sort of learn how to research, but learn how to think like a lawyer and learn how to really work for that firm and for a client. That model may be shifting more and more to lawyers going straight to in-house counsel where they don't get the first couple of years of law firm training. And then over time may shift to a point where they're not actually doing any of that grunt work because it is so well informed by artificial intelligence. And in that world, how do we train our next generation of legal leaders if that's not the experience they've had? And I'm not saying that that's impossible. I'm just saying it's something we need to tackle as a you know, legal industry. Yeah. There was an article in the New York Times earlier this month that talked about some of the challenges companies are facing in attempting to use the Watson platform 
to develop uh, applications. I, I think it focused more on on the healthcare industry and some of the challenges that companies in that industry have found, and found it perhaps much harder than they expected. What kinds of challenges have you faced or found and encountered in trying to adapt Watson to the legal industry? Yeah, I haven't read that article, but I can certainly speak from our experience uh, over the past few months. A few sort of categories there. One is the investment required in both content and training is material. You need to have uh, and we've had to, you know, not only bring our content to the table, which was sort of the obvious sort of synergy between IBM and Thomson Reuters, but also bring a lot of manpower and expertise. You know, as, as you can imagine, it's sort of garbage in, garbage out situation. If you don't train the system with experts, then the system will not be expert. So we have, you know, spent a, a lot of bandwidth and sort of investment in making sure that we have the right people doing the training on the system. So that's one challenge that's very real. The other is that it's not enough to have a piece of technology and then have subject matter experts. Uh, you really need to have sort of a solution design, you know, talent, talented people that think about solution design and respect and understand the subject matter on one hand, and also deeply understand the you know, opportunities that these algorithms present. And so that sort of solution design skill set is something that is really important to bring to the table in these cases. And I think that a lot of organizations, they haven't developed that muscle over time. You know, I think we're lucky at Thomson Reuters in that we've spent you know, decades developing that muscle of trying to marry up good technology with good content and expertise. But that solution design sort of mindset and talent skill set is something that a lot of organizations might not have right out of the gate. And so in order to facilitate that even more, that's sort of one of the reasons that we created this Center of Excellence for Cognitive Computing, not just to help understand the technology, but to really marry up the skill sets in the middle. So I think those are those are sort of the two categories. Eric, I think one of the questions that a lot of people wonder about is how do lawyers start to trust AI as a solution for legal research and other applications in the legal field? What do you say to that? I think it's a really important question because I don't believe that we're at a level of trust right now where a lawyer wants to simply ask a question, get an answer, and feel 100% confident that that's correct uh, if it's AI behind the scenes. And so at Thompson, we're going to spend a lot of time during our you know run-up to launch and in our beta period working with users over and over again to get the user experience right because I think we have to show that when we answer a question that there's you know backup that there's a reason that we're confident in that answer and so i think showing our work uh, is an important element to trust i think over time as well i think over time folks will get sort of used to that and sort of maybe the need to show your work will lessen over time but it's going to be really important right out of the gate i think the other thing for us is that we acknowledge that at thomson reuters our sort of barrier, our bar is very high, right? So we're not going to launch a solution where where we're 50% confident in an answer and then ask our clients to train it up the rest of the way. We have a much higher bar to set. So we'll do a lot of that sort of training and things like that, that, you know, maybe a startup might not do where they could sort of release a product and sort of train it over time. Yeah, well, that was certainly my, one of the things that I thought when I first heard about this was that 
what makes it interesting that Thomson Reuters is developing AI products is that Thomson Reuters is uh, an established player with a strong reputation and a long track record. And that brings a, a degree of legitimacy to AI products that, uh, as you say, that some startups, you know, they, they may be fully legitimate startups and brilliant people working at them, but they don't have that reputation. And for lawyers to trust something, I, I think that's a key element of it. You know, at Thompson Reuters, the thing that we value the most is the trust that our clients have in us. And so you're absolutely right. You know, we need to uphold that trust as we roll out AI solutions. Eric, that ABA Journal article that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, cover story in this month's ABA Journal, described AI as the next great hope that will revolutionize the legal profession. Do you agree with that? Do you foresee that AI will revolutionize the practice of law? I think over time it will. I think that that will, as some people are fond of saying, sort of go slowly and then be very, very fast in the end. Uh, I think it will change business models for law firms. I think it will inevitably change the dynamic of legal departments, you know, depending on law firms for all the things that they do today. And I think that it will allow legal advice to be more accessible by the masses. Right. I think that that will inevitably happen. I don't know the time scales that we're talking on, but I do believe that that's likely. I think that it won't feel as dramatic as the words that a revolution sounds, uh, because I, I strongly believe that it will sort of incrementally appear over time and we will just get used to it and adjust along the way. I think sort of back to our consumer lives, if you think about silly example, but, you know, when I get in my car now, my phone says, you know, Eric, it looks like you're headed home now. It's 24 minutes based on current traffic for you to get there. You know, I didn't ask it anything. It just sort of appeared in my pocket. I didn't know that that was a feature that the phone was going to add, and I didn't need to interact with it in any way for it to know that. And so that's a, a very advanced feature of my phone that's based on all the context that it has about me and my, my everyday, you know, sort of life. And I love it, right? It's a great, you know, value-added feature doesn't scare me, but it just appeared in my life and I liked it. And I think that's going to happen over and over again in legal. Um, I think we're more likely to add features to existing solutions to have new sort of incremental adjustments over time. And I think that people will sort of appreciate them over time. And then you sort of wake up after 10 years and it, the world does look pretty different. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to the day uh, my Alexa has a Westlaw research bot in it. And uh, <laughs> until then, I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. This has really been interesting. So, Eric, thanks for being with us on Law Technology Now today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Bob. Well, that's it for this episode of Law Technology Now. We've been talking with Eric Laughlin, Managing Director of the Corporate Counsel Segment and Legal Managed Services for Thomson Reuters and also head of its Watson Initiative. Thanks again to him for joining us today. Please join us next time for another episode of Law Technology Now. This is your host, Bob Ambrogi. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, 
its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.